Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. I was warned by a friend from seminary. I was warned not when I go overseas to drink Coke. Now, he, like myself, don't drink caffeinated beverages, okay? So I, so I, I did not drink Coke, didn't like the taste when I tasted it growing up. But he said, CJ, I understand. Look, I don't even touch that stuff. But if you're going overseas, because I was getting ready to go on a trip, a New Testament tour from the seminary says, if you're going overseas, you're going to need to drink Coke every single day. It's going to keep the bugs away. Not heeding his counsel, nor the counsel of my wife. Husbands, listen to your wives. Amen. I said amen for you. Uh, I went on ahead on this trip. Said, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. Don't like it. Someone said, hey, it's not about the caffeine. It's about the carbonated water. So you can drink just about any soda and you'll get the same effect. It'll keep the bugs away. I should not have listened to that. That was fake news. So I went on ahead on the trip. And as soon as I got to the Sea of Galilee in Israel, this is my memory. Some of you, I may have shared this with you before. This is my memory from the Sea of Galilee, me running towards the Sea of Galilee, vomiting twice because I got sick. You see, it must have been something in the water. Reminds me of another place, an ancient city that I visited while I was there in Turkey, one of the seven churches of Revelation, the church of Laodicea, or the city of Laodicea, where the church met and gathered. And it's really interesting how Jesus, as he would so masterfully do, grabs scenes and imagery as jarring as the one I just described to you in order to, to describe the condition of the church that he's speaking to, that he's addressing. You see, the church of Laodicea was mirroring what was happening in their city. You see, the church of Laodicea was a church whose city had a, had a, had a problem. They had a few problems, but there's one major problem that they had if you were to study it out contextually back in what was going on in that time. And that was this. They didn't have their own natural water supply. They had to actually route it through an aqueduct of six miles, coming from the Hierop uh, Hierapolis, I forget what they call it there in Turkey, the Hierapolis, six miles away, and it's near the church or the city of Colossae, you know, the book of Colossians, right? So it's coming from there, and it's going six miles to the church or to the city of Laodicea. But by the time it gets there from those hot springs, it's lukewarm. Now, you've got to understand that the, the city of Laodicea was known not only for its wealth, but it was also known for its medical school. Now, pay attention. The medical school was in need of hot water because hot water was used back then for healing purposes. It was used to heal the sick. Cold water at that time as many of us do today when it's really, really hot in the summer, was used for a refreshing drink. Okay? 
And so I'm not going to ask you to go there. I'm going to read it for you. But Jesus now, with this in mind, begins to speak to that church that's in that city, that's mirroring some of the issues that are going on there in the city. He uses, Jesus is relevant, right? He, he takes things that you can understand, things that you're probably experiencing, and he gives you a diagnosis. Here's Jesus, very much like a doctor. And he's looking at this church in the city of Laodicea. And he says this, Revelation 3, if you're there, Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16. Jesus says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Are you hearing that? I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, because you are what? Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you, spit you, or if you're reading one version, says spew you. I don't know if that even sounds better. Out of my mouth. It's not a pleasant picture, is it? No, but Jesus is saying, look, you are mirroring what's literally happening in your city spiritually, and after I've diagnosed you, you are making me sick. That's not too pleasant, is it? No, it's not. But you read a little bit further down, and Jesus says, look, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so Jesus is not saying this just to be mean and arbitrary. He's saying, look, I am diagnosing you as a doctor. If you had cancer and you went to see a doctor, you wouldn't want the doctor to say, hey, you're fine, go ahead and go home. No, you'd want a diagnosis and some treatment, hopefully a cure, right? And so what Jesus is saying here is to this church, he's saying, look, this city has an issue with water that makes the water uh, uh, distasteful. People didn't like to taste lukewarm water. And Jesus says, look, if you were like the hot water that you guys needed, right, I would have some use for you. If you were like the cold water, if you look at it, I know what we say typically, right, if you're hot for Jesus or cold in the world, right, but historically, based on the context of what was happening, Jesus was saying, look, if you were cold, there would be use for you. You could be like a refreshing drink. If you were hot, you could be used like the water to bring healing. But because you're lukewarm, I don't have use for lukewarm water. I don't have use, here we go, for lukewarm spirituality. Or going through the motions, a, a somehow doing church and theology and practice void of Jesus. How do we know it's void of Jesus? Because of what Jesus says a few verses down. He's, he's, he's describing what they're doing. He says, look, look, you're going through all of this, but, but I'm outside of the corporate church knocking on your hearts trying to get in. And what he's saying is, is he's saying, look, uh, 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 can I have my church back, please? He's knocking on the corporate hearts of the church. Look, the church is made up of individuals. Some could apply this to themselves individually, but he's speaking to them corporately, right? And he's saying, look, I'm on the outside, and you're like singing songs about me, but do you know me? Do you have a living, vital relationship with me? And so if we now, looking at this, because we understand that the church of Laodicea is a, is a picture, it's, seven, it's the end of seven churches, they were literal churches in the first century, but they represented phases of Christian history. And so the church of Laodicea is the last one, so it's representing the church at the end of time. And Jesus says, look, when I look at this church at this point right now, you're doing this whole thing like without me. So it, it kind of makes me nauseous. And when we 
we hear this, we go, ooh, that just doesn't sound good, CJ. I thought I was coming to hear about good news. Because right now, that's not a very good picture. That sounds like bad news, CJ. What's the, what's the game changer? What, where's the good news going to come in? Well, let me tell you something else that I discovered that got me real excited. I'm going to do my best to finish at an appropriate time. Do you know what else, or another place, rather, in the book of Revelation pictures the church in the last days? Some of you already know what I'm going to say, right? Revelation chapter 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. Revelation chapter 14. You see, that church is the church that's described carrying three messages. How many? Three messages. But really, what, what you're going to discover today is they're actually preaching one message. It's one message. But it's just in three phases. It's got three parts that's unpacking. But it's really one message. And this church is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. They're having global impact. And so I ask you, it's the same church. So what was the game changer? How did we go from the church of Laodicea, lukewarmness, to this spirit-filled, on-fire kingdom movement that's impacting the world? What happened to Laodicea? What was the game changer? What, what, what was the turnaround? You guys want to know what happened to the church of Laodicea? You don't sound like you want to hear what happened to the church of Laodicea. Do you want to hear what happened to the church of Laodicea? Okay, the gospel happened to the church of Laodicea. That's what happened. Jesus is the gospel, right? He is knocking and they let him in. Amen. Yes, Jesus is knocking and at some point in the story... The shift happens, and they get it. Oh, we need Jesus. The next question, and this is what we're going to unpack as we go through today. If Jesus, if the gospel was the game changer that shifted this church from being Laodicean, from being lukewarm, and it yanked it out of its lukewarmness, and caused it to be a global, impactful, spirit-filled kingdom movement, then I want to ask you then, what is, and I want to go ahead and put it back, uh, Rick, to the previous slide before we go there. What is, what is its impact on the world once the church receives the gospel? And that just sounds bad, doesn't it, Dee? That the church needs to receive the gospel. Doesn't that just sound indicting? Yeah. See, we have to often go back to our, to our book and actually reread this book in light of the cross. This is what happened to the Jews of the first century after the cross happened. They had to go back to the book that they had to memorize, many of them, and they had to go, wait a minute, this whole thing was actually about Jesus. That's, that's the burden of the book. You can debate anything you want out of this book, and you're going to miss it if you're not pointing somebody to the love of God revealed in Jesus and Him crucified for the salvation of the world. Righteousness by faith. Justification by faith. Not of works, but by the work that was completed by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that has an impact, as it we're about to discover, on our lives. That's the burden of the book. Come with me, Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says this. Are you there? Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. All right, I think some of us are there. Here we go. 
Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Having the everlasting what? Gospel to preach to every nation. Excuse me. To, yes. Have the everlasting gospel uh, uh, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a, what kind of voice? Loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, or in your, in your Bible it may say is come, and worship him. Yes, worship is a part of this. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You see, because the gospel happened to the church, the thing that they are proclaiming is the gospel. Are you seeing that connection between Revelation 3, 14 to 22, and Revelation 14? It's the gospel that is the game changer. They've received it, and because it's impacted their own lives, I hope somebody's hearing this, they can't keep it to themselves. And so they've got to proclaim it. It's good news. So anything that we see that follows now between verses 6 to verses 12 has to be in the context of good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same gospel that Paul preached. That's why it's the everlasting gospel. It's the same gospel that Jesus lived and preached. It's the same gospel that the New Testament church preached. It's the same gospel that was proclaimed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed, Christ, would come, crush the head of the serpent. Hello? Be wounded in the process of redeeming us and restoring us to God. It's the same gospel proclaimed throughout the entire Bible. It's not a different gospel. It's not a new gospel because we're living in the end of time. It is the same message that this, the burden of this book is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ and him crucified for the salvation of the world. That's the threefold message that you're going to find here. It's a gospel message. It is a good news message. Somebody understands and knows Jesus. And so here we go. As we now go into this message, you've got to understand this, is that this gospel message produces a powerful response. You may go to the next slide. It produces a powerful what? Response. It produces a powerful response. This week, this week my wife gave me something that she should not have given me. Because it's a part of my weakness. And that is, she gave me, she gave me, I don't know if you've had, if you've had this from Whole Foods. It is the raisin banana bread pudding. Has any, have you had that? Dominique? She made the mistake of giving me this raisin banana bread pudding. Now I'm usually not a pudding person. Right? But it had banana, which I love banana bread even more, and it had raisins, which I love. If anybody that knows me knows anything with raisins, I love, right? And so she was there, and she said, CJ, when I smelt this thing, it just hit me, it overpowered me, and she said, I just had to buy it. And so she came home, it kind of eerily kind of reminds me of Adam and Eve, but anyway, she came home, and she said, CJ, you have got to try this, boy, try this. And I said, kind of hesitantly, like, no, no, it's pudding. And she said, no, 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 you've got to try this. And then after I smelt it, I was like, oh, ooh. And I said, mm. I tried it, right? And nearly did a backflip in a cartwheel. <laughs> it was so good. You see, Deidre had tasted something and seen that it was good. And she couldn't keep it to herself. She had to, she had to share it. 
She's about to preach up in there. Right? You have this, you're going to get baptized. Right? The gospel produces this kind of response. It produces a powerful response. It produces a what? Powerful response. What's the response of this message, this everlasting gospel when it is preached? Number one, you fear God. I want you to understand that the message of the everlasting gospel of the, of the first angel, even though it's one message, but this first part of the message, family, does not begin with fear God. Oh, man. It doesn't begin with fear God in verse 7. It began in verse 6. Now, I, every Seventh-day Adventist needs to hear this this morning. The three angels' message does not begin with fear God. You see, if it merely began with fear God, a lot of people would be afraid of God. Why is it producing a response of fear after a message of good news? Because when they've received the grace, like I, I there's no comparison, but after I received that really good pudding this week, right, right? When you've received the grace of God, you've tasted and seen of it, it produces in you not fear. It produces in you holy awe and respect for the mercy you've just received. Are you hearing this? See, see, there's two sides to the coin of the fear of God. If you don't know Jesus and you've rejected the gospel, then yeah, you're looking forward to judgment, as we'll see in a moment. You're, you're, you're afraid of God, even though God is coming to you trying to draw you to himself. But when you've received Jesus, when you've received the gospel, the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ, the fear of God is not be afraid of God. It is, oh, be in awe of this amazing God who has redeemed me to himself through Christ. I respect him. I honor him. I worship him. The next thing it leads you to is to glorify God. Amen. Glory in the Bible. If you read Exodus 33 and 34, you'll discover that glory is not just the beauty and the outshining of God's majesty and power. More specifically, the glory of God is God's character of love on display. That's why the greatest revelation of the glory of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so those that receive the good news of the gospel, guess what starts to happen? Out of gratitude, out of love, out of sheer awe and respect, you begin to glorify God with your life. You put his character of love on display in every aspect of your life. Not because you're afraid and cowering and trying to earn something. No, because you receive the good news of the gospel and you want the love of God. You want other people to see him in your life. You want other people to know him. And so all you want to do is reflect the character of God in your life and the way you eat and the way you live and your conversation and the way you work on the job. It's all encompassing. And you're doing this all while being fully aware that you're living in the hour of the judgment. You see, I want you to hear judgment from the context of the gospel. According to Bible prophecy, we are currently living in the pre-advent judgment. Before he comes and bring his, brings his rewards, he's, of course, not going to send you up there and go, hey, let me evaluate this thing once you got there. No. All that stuff's going to be decided before he comes. So you're living in that hour right now. But guys, have you ever read the book of Judges? You see, in the book of Judges, a judge was not someone coming to bring down 
condemnation on you. Samson and Deborah and all these judges were your deliverers. They were your redeemers, your saviors. A judge was there to save, to vindicate, right? To restore things back to the way they need to be. And so you're living it, you're giving him glory, you're respecting him, not because you fear condemnation, but because you understand that the judgment of God means the vindication of God. You understand that the judgment of God means that God's people are being oppressed. He's coming in to save the day like the night, riding in on shining on. That's the context of the judgment hour. Because they understand what Paul says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. They understand what John the Apostle says in 1 John chapter 4 verses 17. Uh, 17, 18, he says, there is no fear in love because perfect love does what? Cast out fear. There's no fear in judgment, it says. Because they know the judge. And the judge is their savior. This experience in the gospel, the powerful response it produces leads them to worship him. You gotta understand the biblical worship is you saying that I love and Worship, I ascribe worth. I love you supremely above everything else. That's worship. I can't say that I truly worship Jesus when the first thing I think about and want to do when I get up in the morning is reach over to my phone. That, that was me for a little period of time. And I, I had to confess, repent. I'll say, I'm making this thing into an idol. I'll get to the phone. Let me just spend time just thanking Jesus for breath and life and another day. Anything that takes up value in your life that supersedes Christ as valuable in your life is worship. Yeah. There's, but, but, but there's a special kind of worship that's happening here. At a time where everyone's kind of emphasizing evolution and we come from monkeys, here comes a message that says your Redeemer, the, the one who gave us this everlasting gospel, is also your Creator. And it's borrowing language directly from the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath Commandments, letting you know, man, not only are you to worship Him 24-7 in how you live, that's why it proceeded with fear God and give Him glory, right? It's in the same context. Worship Him with your life. But there's a special opportunity, and it's going to make more sense as you get towards Revelation 14-12. There's an opportunity every week to remember Him, worship Him as your Creator. Because the Sabbath is not just about your rest in Christ as your Redeemer, because you're resting from any attempt to earn your salvation, but you're also resting in Christ as your Creator. You see, this is not a new response of the Gospel. The Gospel has always produced this kind of powerful response in the lives of people that receive it. This is not new. What becomes significant is that this starts to happen at a time where these things are being challenged. God is creator. There's another system, as we're about to discover, that's going to be calling for worship. Right? And so it becomes critical that those that truly now, because a lot of people profess to be Christian. Y'all understand that we're under fire right now in, 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 in the world, particularly in the West. Do you guys understand that? And do you understand that we are partly to blame? I'm talking about Christianity. Do you know that people are kind of wanting to spit us out of their mouths? There is a, a increasingly a politicized Christianity. 
that is causing people to live, that's what Jesus is about, then you understand that? And so this, this is going to happen in a time where those that are truly, listen to this word, loyal to Jesus, that are faithful to him and his commands are going to need to surface. It's kind of like, will the real followers of Christ please stand up? People are going to need to see a sharp distinction between a, a, a kind of a, yeah, professed, kind of politicized and all kind of other baggage version of Christianity and a true, genuine, gospel-centered, love-filled version of Christianity surface. And the gospel is what produces this kind of response. But let me tell you something. Not everybody is always happy about the gospel. Come with me to verse 8. Verse 8. And the Bible says this in verse 8. It says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Because of time, I'm going to have to, have to go a little bit quickly here. So bear with me for a second. Is that all right? You see, what happens here is, is that this first message, which really all of them are the gospel, right? But, but what's happening here is, is that as the first message, the everlasting gospel is being is continuing to be preached. It hasn't, it's not like first message, stop, and let's now proclaim Babylon is fallen. You, you follow? So the first one is still going. But as it's going, there are some that reject it. There are those that in action, in deed, and whatever, they are resisting the love of God, believe it or not, revealed in Jesus Christ and Him crucified for their salvation. They're resisting it for whatever reason. And so because of that, they are now producing a, a state of fallenness. They, 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 they're, they're resisting the gospel, then produces in them a desire to align themselves with this worldwide religious, political, economic power of Babylon. Their allegiance is not in Jesus. Their allegiance now becomes a man-made system. Hear this, actually professing to be Christian professing to be religious. See, it's going to look like Jesus. Wish I had time. But in its actions, its deeds, its policies, its laws eventually, it will look nothing like Jesus. And people will be polarized into two camps. The true followers of Jesus that are faithful to him and out of love and gratitude not to be saved, but because they are saved, they're going to be following all of his commands. They're going to make up the kingdom of God. And you're going to have those that are going to be a part of this fallen system that are actually being motivated and inspired by the kingdom of darkness or Satan. These are the, it's the clash of kingdoms. You want to go to the next slide because the gospel actually brings Babylon down. Did you hear that? Did you guys, did you guys, do you guys know that the actual gospel is actually producing, it produces a subversive, undermining influence of the kingdom of Satan. Did you know that? Yeah. You remember what Jesus said to Peter when he professed him to be the Christ? He said, he said, and on this profession that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We talked about this a few months ago, right? This is a picture of the church not being in a defensive posture. This is the church in an offensive posture, busting open the kingdom of darkness, right? Busting into Babylon. They're not of Babylon, but they're going into it. And they're snatching people out that are responding to the everlasting gospel. See, the gospel has a, uh, 
let, let me say it this way. Salvation and judgment actually are two sides of the same coin, depending on how you respond. Are you hearing me? What, I love how Ellen White says this. She says it this way. When Jesus got up from being baptized at the Jordan River to begin his, his, his ministry as Messiah, she says it was the unsheathing of a sword. Not a literal sword to do violence. We understand that Jesus was very much anti-violence. Amen? And this kingdom gospel message is definitely anti-violence. Right? The subversion that Jesus actually brought about through the gospel was not a physical force of violence. That's the kingdom of darkness, right? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Amen? No, but what he's talking about is the effect of the gospel, what it produces in society, right? Babylon, it's historic background. I wish I had time to talk about this, but it's flowing out of that history. Fallen Rome gets divided into ten kingdoms, amen? And out of this, there comes this little horn power, amen? Papal Christianity and that baggage that swept through the dark ages, 1260 years. Some Bible students understand and they're nodding right now and understand what I'm talking about, right? Flowing out of that is colonialism. You following this? This now leads over to the United States being established, amen? A lot of people seeking religious freedom, but there were other motivations, you hear me? Okay, but do you guys understand that part of this system that produces this confederacy of Babylon also produces some systemic injustice? We often think about it in the terms of this denomination and this group, but that history brought baggage with it. See, it's a, it's a way of being in the world that puts you in opposition to God. It's a confederacy of all these elements building up at the end of time in opposition and it will persecute the people of God. But here's the good news. The announcement is Babylon is fallen. Oh, come on. See, when it talks about the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says it's the everlasting gospel. When it talks about Satan's kingdom, it says, oh, it's fallen. The issues that we're seeing in the world, sir, this is happening right now, by the way. I'm not saying this is something that we're just waiting kind of hundreds of years. No, this is, this is unfolding as we speak. That was actually good news. If, if, if I was in a different church, I would have said that was your shout moment. Are you hearing me? If you're under persecution, if you're under oppression, if it ends up that you now become targeted, right? And policies become enacted, even if they're quoting scripture. And they begin to say, this group of people right here are the troublemakers and causing all this problem, right? And you hear a gospel good news message that says this system is fallen. You know Christ is about to come. You can lift up your eyes. You can have hope. You can have courage. You can encourage one another. But I want to say this to you. If you are still, see, we can, again, if we, if we get too caught up, in this group or denomination, I, I, I get that background. Believe me, that is 100% true. But you can still be in this one and have the spirit of Babylon in you. Self-righteousness. Exalting of self. You can have it arising in you and find yourself aligning with the wrong side of history when this unfolds. So before we start to get a little high-minded, remember Jews that kept Sabbath, put Jesus on the cross because they missed the everlasting gospel when he showed up. Third angel, have mercy. Third angel, I'm going to wrap this up really quickly, believe it or not. The third angel says this. Let's go there really quick. I'm just going to read it and we're going to close. Maybe the praise team wants to get ready. Here's what the third angel says then. A third angel followed them saying with a loud voice. What kind of voice? This thing picks up to a crescendo. 
And it's not a loud, condemning voice. This is what I want you to really hear. You've got to understand, this is all in the context of what kind of news, family? Good news. This is not a bad news message. You have really good tidings to share with the world, your neighbors, your coworkers, right? This is really good news. And I want you to hear this in the context of a good news message. It says this. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships, remember this whole issue in Revelation here in this context is about worship. That system is forcing worship. If anyone worships the beast in his image and, is, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, that's thoughts and deeds, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the, presence of the holy land, uh, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. CJ, where is the good news in that? Here's what I want to tell you. We go ahead, go, go ahead my, um, uh, Rick, and put that onto the next slide, please. You see, the gospel lovingly warns of just judgment. Are you hearing that? Are you hearing that? How many parents do we have in the house this morning? How many of you have ever had a child getting ready to do something that was going to cause them harm? Touch a stove. The Bible says that they're speaking with a loud voice. Are you going to speak with a soft voice if your child is about to be harmed at the detriment of their, of their being, right? No, you're going to speak with a loud voice. Hey, get away from that. But I want you to hear the tenor. I want you to hear the, because we can sometimes hear that loud voice when we want to get picket signs and kind of come off with almost sounding like, like hateful speech, right? I want you to hear how Jesus, using this same type of, of, of loving warning. Why don't you Rick, put that next uh, few slides up. Let's start with that first slide. Uh, this is Ellen White speaking of Jesus when he was rebuking the Pharisees, particularly there if you are in Matthew 23, and he's saying, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. She says, what kind of, what, what, what was in his voice as he uttered his scathing rebukes? Tears were in his voice. I'm not even, Rick, I'm not even going to go on to the next slide. We'll just, we'll just leave it there. No, we'll, we'll just leave it there. Yeah, I talked about him weeping over Jerusalem, but right there, tears are in his voice. If you could just let your imagination grasp that for a second. Hear Christ's voice bellowing out in the first century as he is rebuking the Pharisees. These are the pastors, the scholars, the church leaders, the respectable people in the church of the time, the remnant of the time visibly to everyone else. And tears are in his voice. You can almost see his lip quivering as he's saying, Woe to you. Woe to you. Right? There's unutterable love coming forth in his review. You warn those you love. Are you hearing that? You warn those you... If Jesus didn't care, he wouldn't warn you. He'd step back and say, well, shh, let them. They made their bed. It's too bad for them. No, Jesus here, he, he, he's... He's paid the price for your salvation. And he is like, look, I've got good news. You don't have to fall with Babylon. You can have eternal life in me. He's like, you're about to go off the cliff. This is the strongest warning in all of Scripture. Why? It's about to wrap up. This is it. 
curtains are about to close. This is, this is it. This is his last appeal. This is the last time he gets to lovingly, with tears in his voice, through the collective voices of his church, plead with this world. Come out of Babylon. Don't worship the beast in his image, which will be, as we many of us know, done through legislation. Right? In the name of Christianity. Jesus says, that doesn't represent me. Look at my character. Understand the gospel and you'll see the distinction. Come to me. Receive the everlasting gospel and you'll be saved. It's good news, family. What kind of people will this produce? I wish we had time, but I'm just going to read it. Revelation. I hope my praise team is ready because I'm about to close any second. Revelation chapter 14. They'll end the three angels' message, which is really just one message, don't end it in verse 11. You've got to end it in verse 12. It says here, here is the patience, the what? The patience or the endurance, right, or the faithfulness of the saints. Saints don't mean extra, extra, super holy, long noses, spiritual people. It means people that have received the everlasting gospel. By the way, this message begins and ends the same way with <laughs> the gospel. Because the whole thing is about the gospel, right? Listen, it says this. It says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Look at, sometimes they put the most important thing at the end. What they're actually saying is the reason they are loyal and the reason they are keeping his commandments, not because they want to do that to be saved. They're doing it because they have the faith of Jesus. They have faith in Jesus. They trust in his faithfulness. And so they have received him by faith, righteousness, by faith and the fruit of faith is obedience jesus says if you love me you'll keep my commandments don't keep my commandments to be saved i've done that for you no you, that's the response that's the that's the that's the that's the response of gratitude and that's the response of love because you've received the gospel now saved people want to spend 24 hours with him every seventh day sabbath amen they want to tell the truth and not lie and be faithful to their spouses are you following me and so Jesus is saying, look, this is the response of the gospel. When people hear it, and in this context, yes, you're going to need endurance. Yes, you're going to need patience. It's not going to be a smooth ride to the end. But Jesus promises you that he'll take you there. He'll keep you safe. He'll be right there to give you encouragement. He'll be right there to give you strength. He'll be moving through the Spirit through your brothers and sisters. We've got to learn how to be church outside of a worship service, by the way. Grow groups are coming up. Hello, plug. We've got to learn how to be church outside of a building. Amen? Everybody should be in a grow group. I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. We should all be in a grow group. Why? That was the early church, right? It wasn't always safe to go and worship publicly. They had to worship in community. They had to do life together. Someone's listening this morning and they say, man, I, I don't have that experience, Pastor CJ. I'm going to be honest. Hey, this, is, this should be a place where we could be honest, amen? We've not all always been there. In Christ, letting the gospel produce this. Look, the gospel, here's, here's the message. The gospel has to hit the church before it's going to hit impactfully the world. That's what Jesus is saying. The game changer from Laodicea to this remnant movement in the last days is the gospel. Don't reduce Jesus to milk. He's milk and meat. He's the whole shebang. So he said, look, you need to receive me. Is Jesus central to your theology, practice, daily experience, right? Your witness. Are you looking more like him? Because if you merely profess him, 
But people go, you're mean. Don't be offended. Receive that. Jesus is doing like he did with the letter to see. I rebuke those I love. If you're mean, look, come to Jesus. <laughs> he'll fix it, <laughs> right? If you're lukewarm, come to Jesus. He'll turn the, he'll turn the temperature up. The whole idea is come to Jesus. Who wants to come to Jesus this morning? You're standing if you want to come to Jesus this morning. I'm up here. I'm standing. I'm coming to Jesus this morning. Who wants to stand this morning and say, I want to be that church that receives the good news and it becomes the game changer in these last days. Don't, don't wait. Don't kind of have this, well, it's 50 years from now. Family, this thing could ramp up in a year, two years. You never know. 20. We could all be living this stuff out. And I kind of think we kind of are. Now is the time to take a relationship with Jesus. Seriously, family. I hope you heard the tenor of the message this morning. This is not a message. See, this, these letters were not sent to these seven churches to inspire fear. It was to actually buoy them up and strengthen them and solidify them in the, in the love of God revealed in Christ and give them hope and courage. Like this system, they were living in the time of Rome. This whole thing is, is going to come down. And the kingdom of God is going to be exalted. That's where you want to be. You want to be where Jesus is. Last thing I'll say, the Holy Spirit is not going to fall in that arraigned power. On a people that are not passionate about what he's passionate about. You know what the Holy Spirit's passionate about? Jesus. That's where the Holy Spirit starts to pour out in great power. When Jesus is emphasized and exalted and lifted up, not just in what you say, how you live, what you do. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Oh, God, we want to receive the good news. We may have heard about it. We may be able to quote a few texts, John 3, 16 and 17. But do we know Jesus? Are we experiencing the gospel every single day? Is it producing this kind of powerful response that leads us to respect and be in, honor of your, be, be in awe of your mercy? Is it producing a, 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 a wanting to live for your glory? Is it producing a, a yes, awareness of the judgment, but not fear, hope, courage, an expectation of deliverance and vindication? Is it producing in us a wanting to worship you and treat Sabbath not as some obligation, oh, I have to take time off. No, I get to keep the Sabbath. This is wonderful. Is it producing that in us? Is it giving us hope in the midst of this system that we see falling all around us? Is it giving us confidence in the time where how we worship is going to be forced, even by that which professes to be Christian. Oh God, help us to be that people that have the patience, the patience of the saints. Because they have faith in you, because they trust in you for their righteousness, they're loyal to your commands, all your commands, including the Seventh-day Sabbath. We love you. We want to experience you. We don't want to leave here without knowing you. And it's the decisions that we make right now that prepares us for that time that's just ahead of us. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, 
watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.